All right, so we're going to start our second panel, and this one is Consumer Effects of the CLCPA Costs, Benefits, and Impacts. Um, we have uh, Michael Butler, from the Mid he's the Mid-Atlantic Regional Director for Consumers Energy Alliance, John Howard, Commissioner of New York State Public Service Commission. Unfortunately, Richard Berkeley from the Public Utilities Legal Project emailed me very late last night, uh, said uh, a conflict came up, he could not redeploy his staff. And so he sends his apologies to everybody uh, who came here. But we'll work with what we got, and I'm sure we'll do fine. So uh, again, five minutes for each gentleman to start, and we'll begin with uh, Mr. Butler. Uh, thank you, James, and thank you to the Empire Center for having me today. Uh, my name is Michael Butler. I'm the Mid-Atlantic Executive Director for the Consumer Energy Alliance. Uh, just quickly, for those who may not be familiar with us, though I, I do appreciate the plug our study got earlier. Um, we're founded in 2008. We're a non-profit, non-partisan consumer energy advocacy organization. Uh, we have over, uh, over 300 corporate members nationally, over 500,000 grassroots members nationally. Uh, you can find out more about us at our website, consumerenergyalliance.org. And um, if you're to distill us down to just a bumper sticker, uh, we look at all of our energy issues through the, through the prism of uh, affordability and reliability. And that's uh, really what has us very concerned about the legislation uh, that we find here in New York, the CLCPA. Um, it's just very difficult to see how this legislation won't have significant consumer costs, uh, exorbitant consumer costs. Uh, we've heard them today in different examples, $35,000 for existing homeowners to retrofit homes, uh, tens of thousands of dollars to build uh, new homes moving forward. And, you know, we see this type of legislation throughout the country. I mean, New York is, is this particular legislation is, is very aggressive. Um, but your neighbors in New Jersey uh, have the Energy Master Plan. Um, they basically outsource that to the Rocky Mountain Institute. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Uh, they don't have any uh, heating or, or cooling in their offices in Colorado. Uh, they have $7,000 heated chairs, so that's who New Jersey thought should be writing their, their energy master plan. You can only imagine uh, some of the details of that plan. Uh, New England you know, has you know, this aggressive uh, uh, push for these in environmental standards uh, so far, you know, so dramatically so that a few years ago they had to import Russian natural gas to get through a winter uh, of, of totally foreseeable consequences when you block pipelines out of, out of Pennsylvania in the Marcellus Shale region, California. 30% higher costs uh, than the national average, reliability issues, and for some reason New York wants to replicate what all these other states have tried and, and, and had these uh, consequences. Uh, what's unfortunate is that New York has a great energy story to tell. Uh, from 1990 to two 2020, that 30-year period, New York reduced its emissions by 95%. Uh, during that same 30-year window, natural gas and oil made up 78% of the energy mix. Uh, so it just shows, you know, one, how important natural gas is to reducing uh, emissions and meeting our climate goals. Secondly, it shows the incredible technological process, uh, progress the industry has made. Um, and it does show, of course, you know, renewables are growing and will continue to be an important part of the mix. Uh, but with that incredible energy story or environmental story, you also have this incredible consumer story. In a recent 10-year period, uh, 2008 to 2018, we found, uh, and you can find this report, both these reports on our website, uh, that New Yorkers have saved over $31 billion uh, by increased use of natural gas in that 10-year period. Uh, it works out to over $1,200 per resident of New York. Uh, so just incredible savings have been earned uh, by having this 
taking advantage of this natural gas revolution, and it's, and it's really uh, crazy to roll that back. Now you're going to undo those savings that have been uh, accrued, uh, you know, as James alluded to in his opening remarks, you could have maybe a net negative cost of $300 billion of implementing this legislation. Uh, when you're making so much progress on people's pocketbooks, it, it just uh, seems misguided. Again, especially during an era where you're having this incredible environmental progress, it, it seems um, unnecessary and, and uh, just really playing politics, uh, you know, ideological politics as opposed to getting down to more sensible policies that can really make a difference. Um, and, and that's the other thing that's it's very frustrating, I mean, as other speakers have talked about, you know, New York's global footprint uh, in the emissions front just is not that significant. Uh, there was a study that over 50% of the world's emissions come from 25 cities. One's Tokyo, one's Moscow, one's Istanbul, the other 22 are in China. Again, as James alluded to earlier, India and, and Africa will be coming online in more significant ways in the years to come. Uh, so for New Yorkers to bear uh, these uh, costs that they'll face, um, the jobs that'll be lost, the, those missed opportunities, when you're not really gonna make any global dent in the environmental progress we're all aspiring to make, again, just seems like it's ideological, ideological politics over practical policy. And, um, and, and there just isn't any need for it. Again, New York's making great strides. The United States is making great strides. We like to call it the greatest story that's never been told. Um, the incredible progress uh, the United States has made. Uh, we are the only country that is a signatory to the Paris Accord that is on a trajectory to meet those standards. And that is largely because of uh, natural gas, increased renewables, and technological advancements, and, and more coming. Again, as we talked about earlier, a, a carbon uh, capture, hydrogen, re renewable natural gas. Unfortunately, none of that's really baked into the CLCPA. Uh, but those are the types of things that are on the forefront that will continue to ensure that New York and the United States uh, uh, meets these standards. And again, at the moment, we're the only nation really doing that. And um, this, again, just seems like a totally misguided uh, approach to address a problem that is better suited through uh, the markets, uh, the industry, and technology. Um, and I will just make one other note on, uh, on some of those costs, again, particularly when it relates to housing. You know, this country, and New York State is not unique in this, has just incredible, uh, severe shortage of affordable housing. I just don't understand how it's conscionable to add tens of thousands of dollars to destruction of new homes, tens of thousands of dollars to retrofitting of old homes when we have this incredible gap for affordable housing. I, I just... You know, again, I, I don't want to, you know, to just keep bashing away on one political side, but I don't know if some of the economic justice advocates really appreciate what the environmental justice advocates, uh, the ramifications of what they're pushing. Uh, there'll be severe consequences of a lot of these actions for, again, the communities of people who are uh, least well positioned to, to handle it. Um, you know, over 40% of Americans could not meet a $1,000 one-time emergency. Not only do they not have those resources, they would not know who to turn to to get through that. And so when you have any policy that increase energy costs, uh, we have to be very conscientious that there are a lot of our, our, our neighbors that just you know, can't absorb those. And though there are programs and subsidies out there, uh, they don't go far enough, uh, they're not accessible enough, um, and there's no way to dodge your utility bill, your gas bill, filling up your tank in your car. And it's just, um, I just don't know if we fully, though the aims are good, the ambition is good to have a more environmentally sustainable future, but the uh, way we're going about it, I think, is doing more, more harm than good. Uh, but uh, again, appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here today and look forward to answering any, any questions. Thank you. Thank you for being here. First of all, I 
recognize my colleague, Diane Berman, uh, and uh, my colleagues in other government, our, our two assembly members here. Um, I think I have a unique role here on this panel. Uh, I'm the only guy who gets to put my hand in your pocket to pay for stuff, except for the two gentlemen over there. Uh, their process, a little more formalized, um, and I use this phrase, when the government takes money from you that you wouldn't normally give them, what, what do we call that? You know, I said this to staff early on in my time at the commission, and they said, well, about a fee? I said, it's not a fee. It's a, it's a tax. And because of the way we have done the CLCPA compliance to date, uh, I'm the tax raiser. I'm the one who pays. I'm the one who decides. Not me, a solo. I'm one of seven. But again, we're the ones who decide. Now, what are the things that I've we've already put our hands in your pockets to pay for? Again, all related to getting to our CLCPA compliance goals. Uh, the RECs, the large uh, cost for renewable energy that goes into our bill automatically. Along with those RECs, now is uh, RECs to buy electricity from Canada and transport uh, other energy directly into New York City. Again, uh, we pay for that. ZECs, ZECs are the money that we give to our nuclear operators so they can stay in business. It's great that the Congress, in their wisdom, uh, appropriated $6 billion over a five-year period to keep nukes going across the country. We're spending $7.5 billion over 10 years to keep our nukes open. So again, we've already paid. Uh, we have not seen any money from the feds. We also do the OREC's, which uh, we approve the offshore wind purchases. Uh, we also uh, put in, we're responsible for paying for the transmission. People, and I think Gavin mentioned transmission. I don't think we talk about transmission enough not only because it's difficult to do, but it's very expensive. And there's a good possibility that the capital costs, say, for offshore wind integration can be roughly equivalent. The, the transmission and distribution cost to get that is from the actual cost to put the, the turbines in, in the ocean. So it's another thing that we do. Plus, we do a variety of other clean energy fund stuff. Folks had mentioned the various programs to pay for heat pumps and the like. Again, that generally comes from assessment on your utility bills uh, to, to pay for them. You know, I just wanted to say one thing about, I don't know everybody else has been somewhat jaundiced on the CLCPA's goals. I, I do believe that climate change is our existential threat of our generation. Uh, is it, and it will need to be done on a global basis, certainly on a national basis. So, but again, the underlying concept that we need to uh, decarbonize and clean up our environment is absolutely the case. And particularly was also mentioned that there are real local pollution issues dealing with fossil generation, particularly in downstate New York. Uh, we have a very congested population who live very close to large emitters and uh, they have real demonstrable negative health effects, particularly on NOx and SOx and particulate pollution, that are real and 
and demonstrably real in studies to say that uh, we clean them up, we uh, make people healthier. But the task at hand has been described is basically the recapitalization of our entire energy system in 18 years. Nobody's ever done that before, not even come close. And to the issues of the cost, two, three hundred billion dollars, uh, you know, the legislature just did our one-year spending plan of 220 billion. So it's like more than we would do in a whole year's worth of spending in New York State. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And so far, the only mechanism by which we have to pay for it is through our utility bills uh, and the like. I noticed with great uh, attention that the legislature and their wisdom this year understood that energy affordability is a big problem. People are hurting. They can't afford their motor fuel. So we do a massive nearly $600 million tax cut for motor fuel. So obviously we know that folks can't afford their energy bills when it comes to transportation. But that is all you guys did. You didn't do anything on other issues of uh, your electric bill or your natural gas bill. And again, uh, we're still waiting. But uh, as Ben pointed out, the big bugaboo in the entire thing is not, and I believe it's technical feasibility, which we could debate that in terms of when actually things will get done, but it's, it's, it's how we capitalize things. And until we take it seriously uh, across New York, and I think across the United States, we're, we, will, we will run into this brick wall where the affordability issue will eclipse the issues regarding climate, and the whole process could come to a grinding halt. And, and I think that'd be a, a, terrible, a terrible situation. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I don't know about you all, but that all sounded rather depressing. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and, but I'm not sure that, it, that any of it's wrong. Uh, part of the cost issue, it seems to me, is, is the complexity of it. There are multiple parts of it and multiple ways of potentially paying for these things. Um, and uh, you, you mentioned, Commissioner uh, Howard, that so far it's all probably going to be going through ratepayers. Uh, but I would also add that a fair amount will probably be going through homeowners uh, in the need to uh, retrofit their homes for uh, electrical. Do How do you see, and of course the, um, the Climate Action Council has not really addressed that. Uh, a couple of members of it asked the council to address these issues and, and have a study done about how the costs would be distributed and the, uh, the co-chairs of the council declined to have that done. And the state legislature, despite a record-breaking budget, has uh, dedicated surprisingly little to uh, the goals of the CLCPA. How, how do you see the future pay, playing out as far as trying to pay for all this? Just to me. Uh, either one of you or both. Well, first of all, you know, Gavin spoke quite eloquently and has had for years on the issue of a carbon tax for all intents and purposes, putting a value on carbon that we produce. That's great, except the other 49 states that aren't going to do it. So we already are in an economic disadvantage. It's expensive to live in New York State. It's expensive to do business in New York State. Uh, our housing costs, you know, particularly uh, downstate, are 
or astronomical. Uh, as you said, and housing affordability is, is very difficult. But so the issue becomes, whatever we do, we need to be very cognizant of what it does to our position in terms of economic competitiveness. I'll give a good example. We uh, are $200 million, I believe, was in the budget for solicitation of uh, large microelectronic manufacturers, chip fabs, like we have in, in Malta. Well, what is very curious to me is that these chip fabs are going to be enormously uh, energy intensive, enormously, hundreds of megawatts, uh, and tens of thousands of decatherms of gas. They will not be built in anywhere in the United States where they can't afford to do business. So that's one of two ways we do it. Either we subsidize them or we don't get them. So again, at some point, as part of the energy affordability thing, even the issues of taxation that uh, the CEI, whatever it's called, uh, the issue becomes a, a polluter pays tax. Well, we pay that. I mean, we are the polluters. You know, when I buy a you know, gallon of gas or a decatherm of natural gas or a, a gallon of heating oil or a pound of propane, I'm a polluter. So I will be paying that. Uh, if I make widgets, I'll be paying a lot more because I use a lot more. So at some point, the widget manufacturer goes the way of all flesh and leaves town. And I get, and I particularly, we have this discussion with the assemblyman. There are communities, uh, and particularly ones that he represents in the western southern tier, that we are so dependent on a single large employer. They leave town, the town goes away. Uh, you know, and uh, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of examples in upstate New York in particular where that has happened. And uh, we don't have much farther to go in terms of population loss and, and, and economic activity that supports families, uh, particularly in uh, some of our smaller communities. So the issue becomes, Yes, we need to pay for it through some sort of tax, but what tax do we levy that is fair and does not kill us uh, economically? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you summed it up perfectly. It's, it's either uh, taxpayers pay more or job creation dries up. Um, it's a terrible uh, talk of being between a rock and a, and a hard place. Uh, there, are, there are no easy um, answers, you know, if you have... Uh, a climate initiative that is this ambitious on on such uh, short timelines, which you know the first panel really really talked about, you know uh, in, in great depth. Um, you know, with the legislation as it is, you don't have a, a whole lot of easy solutions. Um, I wish I had uh, some better news, but I, it just looks like you're headed down a path for just exorbitant costs, and I think those costs are ultimately going to lead to a, a job flow out of the state of New York. I live in Pennsylvania, so I might personally benefit a little bit, but I, I feel bad for you guys. Yes, Michael, I was going to ask you, you're the uh, Mid-Atlantic Regional Director for the Consumers Energy Alliance, and um, uh, so John is worried about uh, jobs flowing out of states. Can you uh, tell us um, what, what states are included in the Mid-Atlantic, and how does New York compare to them in terms of what's going on here in terms of uh, dealing with these issues, and what, what do you think the likely differential effects are in the Mid-Atlantic versus New York? Uh, well, I should mention, I do have a, a colleague uh, uh, who couldn't be here. She's based here in Albany, Wendy Heo. She had a, a personal circumstance and, and so is not here. Some of you, you may know her. Uh, but I cover Pennsylvania, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, 
And then, uh, so we have regional chapters throughout the country, um, headquartered in Houston, and then we have nine regional chapters. Uh, I live in Pittsburgh. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, the only good news for New York is that, again, New Jersey and New England are pretty much going down as bad a path as you are. Uh, so in that case, um, you know, you, you know, you're very similar to your neighbors. The, the, the other challenge, though, is um, you're just becoming far more costly than uh, your neighbors to the south, uh, even Pennsylvania and Ohio, let alone the southeastern part of the United States. Um, and it, it doesn't need to be that way. I mean, Pennsylvania is actually on the cusp of, and I guess technically has joined, I think the courts are going to jam it up, has joined the regional uh, greenhouse gas initiative. It'll be the first significant energy producing state to, to join REGI, and that is a way to try to uh, harmonize carbon costs and, and carbon taxes. Um, again, that could level the playing field with New York with its immediate neighbors, um, but the economic you know, mobility, I mean, not counting New York City, but the economic mobility of the country you know, is really headed south uh, where costs across the board are, are less expensive. And you know, I know in Pennsylvania for a while at the front end of the natural gas boom, we saw a real resurgence of, of jobs. Uh, Washington County, uh, which is a county just, just uh, southwest of Pittsburgh, uh, for a while was the fastest growing county in, in the country. Uh, and this was you know, parts of the country that were just decimated when the steel industry collapsed in the 1970s and 80s. I mean, Pittsburgh in 1983 had 28% unemployment, and that's how significant the loss of the steel industry was. And we really had nothing to, to replace that until the natural gas industry came along. And that's really kind of been stymied, one, because of policies within Pennsylvania, but you know, Pennsylvania could never consume all the natural gas it produces. And so we should have pipelines out of Pennsylvania throughout New York, New Jersey, uh, into New England, and they're just being blocked everywhere. And those would significantly, uh, the most notable one, the Penny's Pipeline, was just uh, even the, the fact that they want the U.S. Supreme Court um, you know, got bogged down in such uh, opposition and litigation that that project was canceled. Um, uh, but that would be a, a, a great opportunity. It'd be One, there'd be a lot of union jobs for New Yorkers to build those pipelines. And secondly, it would continue to to drive down those costs, which I talked about earlier, the 31 billion New Yorkers have already saved during a 10-year period. You know, that ought to be the trajectory that both New York should be on and the region should be on. And uh, you know, that natural gas pipeline infrastructure would help reduce the emissions, your, your goals that, that you have. Um, but it gets to a point earlier, you know, building out your electrification system, you know, the grid, you know, increasing that capacity three times or four times. That, I, I don't know the time that that would be in the best of circumstances, but it is excruciatingly difficult to get projects built. And you will find, even though the, it's supposed to support this climate goal, you will find opposition at, at every turn to get those projects through. We just had, just a few weeks ago, the Sunrise Movement come out against a solar project in New Hampshire. Um, I, I just don't see how there's any way to, in the best of circumstances, meet these timelines. And there's really no reason to think, as we see across the country, uh, the obstacles and barriers and opposition groups that'll come out um, it just seems, again, to me, wholly, wholly impractical. Um, so long way of saying in New York, you know, to, compared to its immediate neighbors is probably okay, but uh, you know, I think a real missed opportunity because I think the rest of the country has a lot of significant advantages. John, as a PUC commissioner, can you explain the role that ratepayers have in, uh, in hearings for setting uh, rates and ratepayer cases and how you think that might play out as these cases begin to come forward? Um, as I pointed out in our last commission meeting, um, 
we have sort of two tracks on how we handle petitions and cases. One is the fully litigated case, which are the most rate cases, which are where we do figure out the delivery rate and the cost for the local utilities. And then we have the other petitions, for instance, on almost all of the climate-related petitions that come to us as an up or down in, in the case of what we just did at Tier 4 was just an up or down, yes or no, uh, as opposed to other petitions like the OREX, which we give seed authority to uh, NYSERDA to enter into those contracts with a guarantee that we will put them into rates. Because there's two parts of your bill. Uh, your delivery bill, which everybody talks about. We had just concluded to, with Niagara Mohawk and, 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 and Central Hudson, some very large, long litigated cases, which I think are very well represented across the board with customers. Is it hard? Is it taciturn? Yes, but I think it is a viable process. That same level of public discourse does not exist, in my mind, for some of these other petitions dealing with the uh, large renewable projects, which do not go into your delivery rate. They just go into your bill on the supply side. So again, uh, that is uh, that is an automatic. Also, I'm also increasingly troubled, this is a personal opinion, on how we do with just market-based bidding. Uh, we know with great precision, you know, literally to the pennies in some cases, what the various components of the input cost are for our delivery uh, customers, uh, companies. Uh, you know, how much they pay the labor, what their return on investment, what their cost of debt is. Those are all uh, discussed and negotiated uh, in, in the settlement proceeding and before it gets to us. For instance, I have no idea what an OREX or our return on equity is. I have no idea. Uh, we know what it, the, the bid price is, and we're making the assumption that the bid price represents a reasonable cost to rate payers. Um, again, we have a reputation, and, and I think well-earned, and I'm proud of it, a very stingy commission. And we have some of the lowest return on equity rates in the country. People don't believe that, but it's true. Uh, we are we do we are very uh, stingy when it comes to ratepayers' money in, in, in these rate cases. Uh, I don't know on the OREX or the other various RECs or other adders whether we get that same level of economic efficiency. I, I, it, it it is unclear. I know that the process is not particularly well uh, done. And I see Rick Carlin from the Times Union here. And one of the things. And this got to the, from the previous plan. Why doesn't anybody know? I think one of the reasons nobody knows about these various impacts, because I don't think anybody's written about them in, in, in great detail. For instance, uh, we have just done the, what we tier, the tier four petitions from which upstate into Canada, that we all celebrated with great things about the environmental benefits that they were all going to accrue. But nobody wrote, very few people wrote how much it actually costs. And that, that while the benefits are going to be extreme and really measurable for New York City, 60% of the cost is going to be paid for by people outside of New York City. So your aunt in Tonawanda is going to be paying to help clean up your cousin in Queens' air. You know, they don't know that. 
and more importantly, your, you know, your, the folks in Tonawanda, where they work, if they work in the amalgamated widgets in Tonawanda, they, their bills for their employer could go up 15 to 20 percent just for this one initiative. Nobody wrote that. I did not, I read, I'm a faithful reader of the upstate newspapers, uh, and I did not see this anywhere, particularly that we were going to do in one single action potentially raise industrial commercial rates by an excess of 15 percent. That just didn't get written about. And it's very hard for people to react about something they don't know about. But we do celebrate the investment. There is no doubt, because we all call them investments. And as Gavin pointed out, uh, and others have pointed out, the benefits will always be better than the investment. They always will. I guarantee you that will always be the case. Uh, but again, I and my colleagues are the ones who have to say, I got the benefit, but I have to make the judgment whether it's just and reasonable to, for me to put my hand in your pocket through your energy bill to, to pay for something. And uh, again, I, would it were that the debate was uh, broader? Let's put that way.